Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. It was Unitarian minister and abolitionist Theodore Parker who first said the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Dr. King echoed these words, and now they ring in our ears on this anniversary weekend of what would have been his 89th birthday, reminding us that that ark is in our hands. It is ours to bend. Whether or not you watched the Golden Globes last Sunday evening, I hope you have had the opportunity to hear and see Oprah Winfrey's speech as she received the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement. She opens by describing sitting on the linoleum floor of her mother's house in 1964 as Anne Bancroft, presenting the Oscar for Best Actor, opened the envelope and said five words that shattered a glass ceiling. The winner is Sidney Poitier. Nearly 20 years later in 1982, Sidney Poitier won the Cecil B. DeMille Award for Lifetime Achievement. Oprah goes on to speak of realizing that there were little girls watching her now, the first black woman to receive that award. And then she goes on to thank the press for speaking truth to power, acknowledging that both the press and the truth are under siege in our country, and to thank all the women who have endured years of abuse and assault because they had children to feed and bills to pay and dreams to pursue. And of the men who have so egregiously abused their power, Oprah says, their time is up. Oprah concludes this prophetic speech, the one quality all of us seem to share is an ability to maintain hope for a brighter morning, even during our darkest nights. A new day is on the horizon. And when that day finally dawns, it will be because a lot of magnificent women and some pretty phenomenal men take us to the time when nobody ever has to say, me too, again. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. That arc is in our hands. It is ours to bend. In November and December of 1967, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation broadcast five talks 
by Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. His final talk was his Christmas Eve sermon broadcast from Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church. He opens decrying the fact that we have neither peace within nor peace without. And yet, my friends, he continues, the Christmas hope for peace and goodwill toward all men can no longer be dismissed as a kind of pious dream of some utopia. If we don't have goodwill toward men in this world, we will destroy ourselves by the misuse of our own instruments and our own power. Now the judgment of God is upon us, and we must either learn to live together as brothers or we are all going to perish together as fools. Dr. King closes by saying that in spite of deferred dreams and blasted hopes, we can't give up. I still have a dream, he says, that with this faith, we will be able to adjourn the councils of despair and bring new light into the dark chambers of pessimism. With this faith, we will be able to speed up the day when there will be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It will be a glorious day. The morning stars will sing together, and the sons of God will shout for joy. Less than a month after her husband was assassinated, Coretta Scott King wrote the foreword to The Trumpet of Conscience, a collection of those five talks. Speaking in the language of those times, she concludes, the killers of the dream could end his mortal existence with a single bullet, but not all the bullets in all the arsenals can effect his death. We will not have to search for him. Listen to him in the protest of the poor, black and white. Look for him in the places where social evils are nonviolently resisted by proud, brave people. Listen for him in the ever-increasing chorus of committed individuals. Remember him as a man who tried to be a drum major for justice, a drum major for peace, a drum major for righteousness. Remember him as a man who refused to lose faith in the ultimate redemption of humankind. It is that final sentence that I carry in my heart, the answer to the question, what would Dr. King do? Across these 50 years, he exhorts us to answer the call of love, to keep faith in humankind, and to bend that arc of the moral universe toward justice. Faith is not passive. Faith is active. We engage it, ignite it, and fuel it into a great conflagration at the intersection of our beliefs, and how we live our lives. Patrick Henry 
was an 18th century founding father, an American attorney twice elected to be governor of Virginia, best known for give me liberty or give me death. That's actually the closing line of a fiery speech to his fellow Virginians, exhorting them to choose independence from Great Britain. Here's my favorite passage. They tell us, sirs, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be stronger? Shall we gather strength by irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of effectual resistance by lying on our backs and hugging the delusive phantom of hope until our enemies have bound us hand and foot? We are not weak if we make a proper use of those means which the God of nature hath placed in our power. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. We may or may not be faced with the obvious or imminent choice of liberty or death. But in these perilous times, choices are being made that will shape our lives and our deaths, and we, as people of faith, are being called to keep the faith, to step up and take that arc of the moral universe into our hands. Political theorist Hannah Arendt wrote, the sad truth is that most evil is done by people who never make up their mind to be good or evil. It's a cautionary tale. We are called to choose goodness over evil. We are called to a faith fueled by moral courage. Moral courage is doing the right thing. It asks the hard questions about our highest ideals, and it calls us to rise above apathy, complacency, and cynicism. Sometimes it will ask us to put our safety, security, and reputation on the line. But let's not talk about grand flourishes. Let's talk about the way we live our lives every day. I think of the righteous Gentile Irena Gutawa, a teenager who at the start of World War II was separated from her family. She worked as a waitress and then a housekeeper, hiding Jewish people in her Nazi boss's house and smuggling others from a nearby work camp into the forest. Irena Gotoa said, you must understand that I did not become a resistance fighter, a smuggler of Jews, a defier of the SS and the Nazis all at once. One's first steps are always small. I began by hiding food under a fence. That ark is in our hands. It is ours to bend. One of the stories I carry is from 2015 
when the Girl Scouts of Western Washington received an anonymous gift of $100,000. They were ecstatic. That's nearly a quarter of the council's annual fundraising goal and the opportunity for 500 girls to get out of the city and go to camp. It was the spring that Caitlyn Jenner was transitioning and that transformation was dominating the news. Shortly after the gift came into the scouts, a note arrived from the donor. It said, please guarantee that our gift will not be used to support transgender girls. If you can't, please return the money. You and I both know there were a lot of perfectly ethical ways to respond to that. Megan Furland, the Girl Scout CEO, could have earmarked $100,000 for cisgender girls and set aside donations from other sources for trans girls. She could have gone one better and generated some consciousness-raising publicity about gender identity and called it a day. She returned the money. Asked why she did it, she answered simply, Girl Scouts is for every girl. She stood on a long history of unconditional inclusivity. While the Boy Scouts had not fully banished racial segregation until 1974, did not welcome gay boys until 2013, and in 2015 were still debating allowing gay men to serve as leaders. The Girl Scouts, since their founding in 1912, had inclusivity in their DNA. All girls had always been welcome. Megan Furland returned the money. That's moral courage. She returned the money with perfect faith, and she was richly rewarded. Turning to Indiegogo.com as a source of both crowdfunding and an opportunity to affirm the worth and dignity of every girl, Megan Furland and her staff watched new gifts pour in, and the tally rose to just north of a quarter million dollars. The Miami Herald's Leonard Pitts Jr. wrote movingly of this experience, that questions of oppression and freedom are not easy or inconsequential, and it is understandable that some of us find them difficult. What is not at all understandable is the impulse to handle difficult questions by segregating those who make them necessary behind the barbed wire of social rejection. You can't do this, you can't join that, you can't go here, you can't participate there. It's a tactic that has been tried repeatedly, he continues, tried by coercion of custom, force of law, and threat of violence. When in all of the grand sweep of time has it ever worked? When has the marginalized group ever sat contentedly behind that barbed wire without demanding and fighting for change? When have the people who have imprisoned them there ever been vindicated by history? 
Leonard Pitts answers his own question. Never. Never. The trend of humanity is always toward more freedom and more inclusivity for more people. In rejecting what amounted to be a $100,000 bribe, Megan Furland implicitly recognized this. If the path she chose was more uncertain financially and more difficult socially, it was also gutsy and heartening, a powerful defense of essential human dignity. Beloved spiritual companions, what would Dr. King do? Let us remember him as a man who refused to lose faith in the ultimate redemption of humankind. Faith is active. May we engage it, ignite it, and fuel it into a great conflagration at the intersection of our beliefs and how we live our lives. We are called to choose goodness over evil. We are called to a faith fueled by moral courage. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc is in our hands. It is ours now to bend. Time is up. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.